Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 9.17 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 27th of September, 2022. This is episode 620 of Bitcoin and... Shout out to my good friend, Texas Slim. Uh, I am currently going through his interview with Will Harris III from White Oak Pasture. And it's uh, the first time that I've actually seen uh, Will Harris on video. <clears throat> now, it's not that he's, you know, not been on video. It's just most of the time, all the podcasts that I've ever listened to with Will Harris, is just audio only. This is the first time I actually got a kind of got to see the man in action and I got to tell you it's a it's a it's a very good interview with somebody who's been in the regen agri- uh, agriculture space for a pretty much longer than 95% of the people today that are in regenerative agriculture spaces uh do yourself a favor give that one a a look at uh, you can get it from Beef, Beef Initiative. Just Google Beef Initiative. Go to the website. You'll you, you'll find it. And a congratulations, Slim, because it looks like the Epoch Times picked up a couple of interviews uh, with, or at least one interview with Slim. Uh, so that's good news. It's getting the word about Beef Initiative and whatnot is is definitely getting out. Um, <clears throat> on the home front here up in Eastern Washington, uh, things are also looking up. Uh, as far as uh, getting some some pro- beef producers uh, that I can go talk to and bring to you. In fact, one of the beef producers that is the closest to me that I had emailed two weeks ago finally got back to me. Holy shit. And they are more than happy to host my happy ass to come out there and look at their uh, uh, production facilities, their pastures, what they're doing, you know, kind of educate me a little bit on on what it is because they're more about genetics. Now, so that's what I want to find out here is that they do raise their own cattle. They do slaughter their own cattle. They do sell Wagyu beef. That's their specialty. Uh, if you don't know what Wagyu beef is, it's a heavily marbled piece of red meat from a beef cow, but there's just a much higher fat content which changes the flavor and texture profiles dramatically. Uh, It's way more expensive of a beef product, but it is freakishly delicious. Uh, So what I intend to find out is, are they doing Regen Ag? And what do they think about it? Is it a buzzword to them? You know, because I don't know. The The only interviews that I can get from the guy that runs that shop is about how deeply down the genetics rabbit hole they are. And we're not talking about genetically modified organisms here, ladies and gentlemen. They're doing it the old-fashioned way. They're just picking the best traits and crossing those traits to uh, get a stable genetic line of the very best Wagyu beef cattle that they can find. 
so that's kind of interesting. A lot of people don't talk that a lot of beef producers, they talk about genetics, but these guys are like, they're scientists when they come, uh, come, come about it. So I think that that's probably going to be interesting and I can't wait to bring that to y'all. Uh, again, I'm not sure when the hell you're going to be able to actually hear a functional interview from any of these guys because I'm, I'm swimming in the pool, ladies and gentlemen. I'm getting used to the water. It's it's different. It a lot of things are the same. A lot of things are different. One of the things that's the same as as I've said in in I think the Friday show was that they feel the beef producers up here feel that they are just as under siege by the general public as anybody else. And I will remind you that if when you go and shake your rancher's hand and look them in the eye and ask to be educated. Also tell them that, that you're part of the public that does not hate them, which sounds counterintuitive because why the hell would you go out there in the first place? But I'm reiterating something that, that became very evident to me in the Cattlemen's Association meeting was that they don't feel like the public likes them, like all of the public, like every single person. And they're not going to quit doing what they're doing because they're, they've always been doing it. They don't know how to do anything else and they don't want to do anything else. The real danger here is that their children don't pick up the pieces when they retire. Okay. That's where the danger is. The danger isn't that the ranchers are just going to fucking quit right now. No, they're not. So, you know, a couple of more decades of beef production is definitely in our future. But if, they do not realize that there are people out in the public that do not despise them. That in fact, want that like what they do are interested in what they do. Then their children and the grandchildren aren't going to have that much capacity to want to get into ranching. Okay. It, so give yourself, build yourself the platform to voice your concerns to the rancher, because most of the people that are listening to this are concerned that ranching might go away, okay, or become smaller than it is. So your concern is that you're not hearing my voice. You're hearing CNN. You're hearing MSNBC, Mr. and Mrs. Rancher. You're not hearing what I have to say, because we don't have a platform to talk to the rancher. We're, you know, Slim's trying to give, a, you know, the platform to the rancher to be able to talk to the people, but we need a platform to be able to talk to our rancher. And that goes above and beyond just going out and shaking your rancher's hand. You got to do just one more step. And that's to tell them that you appreciate what they do, that you like what they do, that you do not think that they are destroying the, the environment, that, that you think that they are, in fact, the critical linchpin that is holding what's left of the environment together because we've divorced so many animals, specifically ruminants from such large swathes of land that the land is starting to lose its function. So that's the spiel for the morning. Let's get into other stuff. Here's the news. William Suberg, Coin Telegraph, Bitcoin, British pound trading volume soars 100, no, I'm sorry, 1,150% as UK's currency risks dollar parity. 
Bitcoin will see increased interest from the United Kingdom very quickly as fiat currency volatility makes BTC look like a stable coin. That was the conclusion from Gaber Gerbax. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. <clears throat> He's the strategy advisor at investment giant Van Eck, one of many flagging Bitcoin's appeal over the pound this week. As the United States dollar runs rampant, its strength has come at the expense of trading partner currencies, notably the euro, the pound, and the Japanese yen. The pound's disintegration gathered pace this week, however, as the British, the Great British Pound uh, slash USD hits its lowest on record at nearly $1.03. Yeah, I remember when the, the pound was almost like a buck seventy. Uh, I think it taught, you know, got into like the $2 range at one point, And now we're hit, it's gone all the way back down to damn near just over a buck. With the United Kingdom Central Bank, the Bank of England, avoiding intervention so far, nerves are showing as purchasing power takes a double hit from currency weakness and inflation at 40-year highs. The United Kingdom will get orange-pilled very quickly, given GBP volatility, Gerbach's predicted, quote, Given that the UK is now outside of the EU bureaucratic apparatus, it will get another chance to become a Bitcoin hub. I think UK leaders will use this opportunity reasonably well, end quote. Side note, I don't, because they're all owned by somebody that doesn't give a shit about the United Kingdom. But, continuing, the pound was down nearly 25% date, or sorry, year to date at one point in USD terms, while Bitcoin beats it at 56%, data from Cointelegraph Markets Pro and TradingView shows, the longer the time horizon, the more attractive a BTC hedge becomes. Quote, over the past four years, the dollar has collapsed. 67, minus 67% gains in USD, Michael Saylor, former CEO of MicroStrategy, noted in his own assessment of fiat currency losses on September the 26th. According to data from CoinShares, head of research James Butterfield, trade volume for the uh, Great British Pound BTC pair on major exchanges Bitstamp and Bitfinex normally worth a combined $70 million per day hit a giant $881 million on September the 16th, an increase of over 1100 Nope. Yeah, sorry. 1150%. Butterfield argued that this showed that when a fiat currency is threatened, <clears throat> investors start to favor Bitcoin, end quote. Reacting, Saifedean Amis, author of the popular book, The Bitcoin Standard, called the phenomenon fascinating. Gerbax, meanwhile, acknowledged that while he might be too optimistic about the UK, G20 countries could yet enact a major policy shift vis-a-vis -vis Bitcoin acceptance. Quote, like gold, Bitcoin could be a hedge against their own policies, which is worth a small percentage allocation and support, he continued. Quote, some are starting to understand this, end quote. Beyond the pound, data shows that it is the major fiat currencies that are suffering more at the hands of a surging greenback than those of emerging markets. The tables have turned, Robin Brooks, chief economist at the Institute of International Finance, declared this week, quote, Emerging markets like Brazil and Mexico are year-to-date outperforming G10 currencies against the dollar. This is a big pivot in global markets that's unprecedented. Uh, EM, or Emerging Markets Monetary Policy, is these days more orthodox than in advanced economies. Well done, Emerging Markets, end quote. 
An accompanying chart from Bloomberg showed the Brazilian real and Mexican peso gaining even over the dollar in 2022. The pound brought up the rear along with the yen, while the Russian ruble was notably absent, having hit its highest in USD since 2015. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't even include the Russian ruble because, you know, censorship. Yeah. Look, guys, that's the end of the article. But, dude, really? You're just going to delete the Russian ruble off off of charting because it makes you look bad? This is the way you want to run a global economy by censoring actual economic facts. Okay. Yeah. This is why Bitcoin. So that's amazing. And I've said it on many occasions on this podcast. If you are not watching Latin America in toto, and that means all of Central America and all of South America, then you are really, really, really missing a fascinating story. They're going to adopt Bitcoin pretty much across the board at one point or another, and them in Africa will be the first. It's already very clear that the United States has entered and has been in for quite a while Banana Republic territory, and it's sad to watch. Thankfully, we have 50 states that can chart their own course under the auspices of the 9th, 10th, and 11th Amendments of the Constitution of the United States. Now, I'm not talking about full-scale, you know, secession, although I still think Texas needs to secede. But even up here in eastern Washington, dude, I saw a dude in Idaho. We went to Idaho this weekend to uh, Ponderé Lake, stopped at a little, you know, little fair. It was a little, uh, oh, like local artisan fair where they were selling their goods and all kinds of neat stuff and met this gentleman who was packing heat on his hip. And turned to him and I said, sir, is, is, is Idaho constitutional carry? And he goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, is constitutional carry around these parts. A whole bunch of people in eastern Washington, kind of the same way, except they don't have constitutional carry. I've never seen anybody packing a firearm and on this side of the Idaho-Washington border. But I guarantee you that the guys that are over here in eastern Washington are starting, have been and are starting more and more to want to become part of Idaho. I mean, it's bizarre. It's like the, the shift between Western Washington, Seattle, Tacoma area, and, you know, huge, you know, massive Eastern Washington is, is night and day. I swear to God, it's like being in West Texas around these parts. It's insane. But so a couple of things, you just want to make sure that you keep your eye on Latin America their adoption of Bitcoin, and how they're running their economies. I get the feeling that first things first is that they're going to stop listening to Klaus Schwab. You got Bukele that's already, you know, he's been trolling leaders and central banks of other countries for for months now. And he he did another one uh, where he trolled the Central Bank of England or the Bank of England, and it was a thing of beauty. But you got to watch these guys, because if you're not watching these guys and you're not watching Africa, you're gonna miss. You're gonna miss a huge party. So don't don't do that. Now moving on. Here is strike. Strike has closed. An eighty million dollar funding round for its Bitcoin payments revolution. So says Sean Amick. So says Bitcoin Magazine. Strike, a leading payment provider for the Bitcoin Lightning Network, has raised eighty million dollars in a Series B. Series B funding round led by the Bitcoin focused investing firm 1031 per press release. Quote, we believe 
Strike is poised to disrupt the financial services and payment landscape, enabling a more efficient, innovative, and inclusive financial experience for everyone, said Grant Gilliam, co-founder and managing partner of 1031. Additionally, Washington University in St. Louis and the University of Wyoming also contributed to the funds uh, to the fund, which will be used to further Strike's initiative to revolutionize payments for merchants, marketplaces, and financial institutions. I, I'm going to pause right there because we really need to look at that. Okay, so 1031 is in this in this thing for Strike. Washington University from St. Louis, Missouri and the University of Wyoming, two universities. University is a collection of colleges, in case you didn't know that. A college is a collection of schools. In either event, now you've got academia that is pouring some of their money into developments to benefit the private sector. What does that tell you? Shit is shifting, bro. Shit is shifting. Quote, we're moving full speed ahead, not just to integrate strikes revolutionary payments with leading merchants, but globally and with a variety of businesses and partners to innovate and deliver on more financial inclusion, said Jack Mallers, founder and CEO of Strike. The funding allows Strike's release of an open application programmable interface, or API, which was initially announced at the Bitcoin 2022 conference in Miami. The API allows companies such as the largest global payment provider, Blackhawk, to facilitate Bitcoin and fiat payments across the Lightning Network. Furthermore, Global commerce platform Shopify and the National Cash Register have also started leveraging Strike's API. The funding gathered will be used to strengthen these partnerships, but also to acquire new ones. Quote, every company that's in the business of moving money is interested in superior payments, and we're in talks with many of them. It doesn't get any bigger and more exciting than innovating in payments for the betterment of the world, Mallers said. Moreover, the company will also explore new product offerings specifically tailored to financial institutions and other businesses to send and receive payments. Quote, we can empower businesses to move money in ways networks such as card networks and Swift can't, and we pay these partners in the form of commission to do so, which makes it an exciting innovation for everyone, Mallers concluded. So strike getting big for their britches. Too big for their britches, we shall see, but they are growing into their britches. Uh, there's all I can hear in my head is Dieter Bob screaming like the functional autist that he is. And thank God for guys like that. They are canaries in the coal mine. I guarantee you, Dieter Bob is sitting out there on Twitter freaking out. Well, he's not freaking out, he's but he's basically going to call complete bullshit on this thing, but I do want to remind you, I don't think that it's bullshit. I think that it's good that strike is starting to get up there, but they are necessarily, when you look at this, they're kind of leaving a vacuum for smaller guys to get in underneath strike and fill the void that strike was filling, you know, all of us for the little guy, that kind of shit. There's no reason in the world that if you're out there and you're looking at strike and say, well, shit, the ship has already sailed. No, it has not. It, it hasn't. We're always going to need people that somehow or another continuously escape from corporatism because it, it's going to be up to Jack. It's going to be up to Jack to not fall into that hole. Do I trust him? I like Jack and I think his heart's in the right place. But guess what? He walks on two legs, wipes his ass after he takes a shit on a toilet. 
What does that mean? He's a human. Humans are fallible. All right. So two things. If you're the guy that wants to also do payments, it's not too late. And second, for those guys who don't give a shit about that, but want to make sure that Jack walks straight and narrow, then you probably want to yell at him a little bit and say, don't fuck this up. All right. Just, I'm just saying, and by the way, I love Jack. I really do. I've been following that guy for a while and I don't have anything bad to say about him. The only thing that I'm cautioning is that to remember that you are human and that the people, some of the people in what is the legacy financial and corporate world is going to, they're going to do their playbook and we know what their playbook is and it's never fucking good. So we got to be careful. Otherwise you're going to end up getting bought up by FTX because FTX US has won the auction for Voyager Digital's assets. Hey, Jesse Coglin tells us about it from Cointelegraph. Cryptocurrency exchange FTX US has secured the winning bid for the assets of crypto brokerage firm Voyager Digital to be approved by the United States Bankruptcy Court with a bid valued at approximately $1.4 billion with the B dollars, according to Voyager. Voyager said the bid was made up of the fair market value of its crypto holdings at a to-be-determined date in the future, <laughs> estimated to be around $1.3 billion, along with $111 million of what it says is incremental value, but didn't provide further details. Yeah, it sounds like bullshit to me. Whatever. Little information was given regarding what will happen to Voyager customers still awaiting access to their crypto holdings, a la Mt. Gox, with Voyager stating additional information about crypto access will be shared when it becomes available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Voyager only mentioned that the FTX US platform will enable customers to trade and store cryptocurrency after the conclusion of the company's Chapter 11 cases. Cointelegraph contacted FTX, but no comment has been forthcoming. The sale of the assets is set to be completed after a Chapter 11 plan and an asset purchase agreement submitted for approval by the United States Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of New York on October the 19th. Cointelegraph earlier reported that crypto platforms Binance and Crosstower also submitted bids alongside FTX to acquire Voyager's assets, each proposing their own terms. A source claimed Voyager customers would receive their pro rata share of crypto assets and transition to the FTX platform if its bid was successful. Voyager entered into a Chapter 11 bankruptcy on July the 5th, sometimes called a reorganization bankruptcy. It allows a firm to retain control of its assets and continue operating whilst it plans to restructure or sell the business. The filing was for an insolvency worth over $1 billion after Crypto Hedge Fund Three Arrows Capital defaulted on a $650 million loan from the firm. <coughs> Excuse me. Voyager says its claims against 3AC remain with the bankruptcy estate. Yeah, you're never seeing that money again, pal. <coughs> the company maintains its Chapter 11 filing was aimed at returning maximum value to customers and also considered a reorganization, but stated the sale to FTX US was the best alternative for Voyager stakeholders. Yeah, really? Well, without you actually detailing what the hell's going on, we don't know what the hell you're doing. So I take everything you say with a grain of salt. Now, out of one mess and into another, the CEO of bankrupt crypto lender Celsius, Alex Mashinsky, has resigned. Andrew Thorvalis tells us more from Decrypt. 
Alex Mashinsky has submitted a letter of resignation to the company's board of directors, according to a press release from a New York law firm on Tuesday. Quote, I elected to resign my post as CEO of Celsius Network today, said Mashinsky in a statement. Nevertheless, I will continue to maintain my focus on working to help the community unite behind a plan that will provide the best outcome for all creditors, which is what I have been doing since the company filed for bankruptcy. Well, if you've been concerned about that from the very start, you probably wouldn't be here, but no, you took leveraged positions and fucking everything that you could, like some kind of fat man at a carnival food court, okay? Just, it's just... Whatever. In his official letter, Mashinsky said that he regretted how much of a distraction his presence had become as the company CEO. Quote, I'm, I'm sorry. I am very sorry about the difficult financial circumstances members of our community are facing. Dude, they mortgaged their house to buy into your bullshit Ponzi scheme. You're not sorry. Mashinsky was allegedly responsible for a series of quote-unquote poor trades in early 2022 that precipitated the crypto lenders downfall. Celsius was one of the first major crypto lenders to freeze user withdrawals as crypto markets crashed in mid-June of this year. After weeks of silence, the firm eventually fired, filed for bankruptcy while revealing a $1.2 billion hole in its balance sheet. Leading up to the bankruptcy filing, on-chain data showed that Celsius was hastily paying back money on its various DeFi loans to avoid getting liquidated on over $440 million in collateralized Bitcoin. The firm eventually paid back the entire loan and recovered the funds. The firm has since gained permission to sell its mined Bitcoin to pay for its operations. July numbers indicated its operations were running at a loss, but a New York judge determined that the move would ultimately help investors. Earlier this month, Vermont officials alleged that Celsius had been secretly insolvent since 2019. Let me repeat that. Vermont officials have alleged that Celsius has been insolvent since 2019 and that CEO Alex Mashinsky had made false and misleading statements to exaggerate the firm's financial health. You think? <laughs> really? You think? Okay, from that mess, we get into Tether FUD. I don't know if it's FUD. It, it, it's clear that the SEC has indeed fined Tether's former auditor $1.5 million for improper professional conduct. This is Z Wang writing for Decrypt.co. Hey, guys, if you're a Tether fan and you're pissed that I'm reading this and, and want to accuse me of spreading FUD, that's not the intent. The intent of this show is to tell you what the hell's going on, given the resources that I have at hand, okay? If it's FUD, then it's just part of the, it's just part of the experience. It's part of the whole landscape that we find ourselves in. It doesn't make it less important, all right? Because the United States Securities and Exchange Commission has fined Tether's former auditing firm, Friedman LLP, to the tune of $1.5 million, according to an order issued on Friday. <clears throat> the regulator found the accounting firm engaged in several instances of improper professional conduct in its audits of two companies from 2017 to 2020. According to the SEC, Friedman LLP failed to design and perform appropriate audit procedures 
in its work with grocery chain iFresh and also did not exercise professional skepticism and do professional care in its handling of another unnamed company's audit. So this is not really about Tether now, is it? So maybe this is directed FUD. I don't know. Let's read further because they haven't mentioned Tether yet. While the order doesn't mention Tether outright, the stablecoin issuer retained Friedman LLP as auditor from May 2017 to January 2018 before ending the relationship. The SEC's order said Friedman LLP, which did not admit or deny the SEC's findings, had agreed to settle the charges and will pay approximately $1.5 million in fines, as well as implement training for its staff. <laughs> Tether's financial activities have been under probe for some time, driven in part by the company's insistence that the composition of its reserves is commercially sensitive in such a competitive market. The broader crypto industry has faced renewed scrutiny from regulators. Last week, a United States judge ordered Tether to produce documents showing the dollar backing of its stablecoin, the latest development in a lawsuit launched by crypto traders last year, claiming the stablecoin issuer tried to prop up the price of Bitcoin with unbacked tokens. A further investigation by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission found that Tether only held enough dollar reserves for a quarter of the time between 2016 and 2018. Tether and Friedman LLP have not responded to requests for comment. Okay, so this is more about the fact that the auditing firm that did the audit for Tether is in trouble, but Tether itself is not anywhere in this. Yet, we don't know. See, did, did, uh, the implication here is that the auditing firm, because they're all screw, you know, screwy and possibly conniving, somehow or another automatically implicates Tether because they hired them and they did the work on that audit that said that they were fully backed by commercial paper and cash on hand and some other, other stuff, right? So it's guilt by association. Am I defending Tether? No. Why? I don't care. I'm just saying I can't tell if this is a, a conniving way, a roundabout way of creating more Tether FUD to continuously suppress the price of Bitcoin. I don't know. You tell me, and you can do that through a boostagram, which we will read right after we do the numbers. CNBC, Futures and Commodities. Oh, look, there's a breaking news headline on this website. General Motors delays return to office mandate after employee backlash. GM is not going to survive, ladies and gentlemen. They're just not going to survive. And if they do survive, it, it won't be in any way, shape, form, fashion like what you would think. So their people don't want to go back to the office at GM. You make fucking cars. Hey, you know what? Stupid aside, let's get into actual numbers. West Texas Intermediate up 1.79%. That is $78.07 per barrel. Brent North Sea up 2%, 2.05 in fact, $85.75 a barrel for that. Natural gas is the only loser in the energy markets today. 1.26% to the downside. Uh, that is $6.81 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline, woo, up. Okay, so that's not really a win, whatever. 3.58% uh, back up <clears throat> to $2.47 a gallon. 
All the shiny metal rocks except two are down today. Gold up a third of a point to $1,638.80. Silver down a point three eight percent to $18.41. I remember when that shit was 25 bucks, dude. Platinum down 0.14%. Copper down 0.41%. Palladium is up 2.37%. Agricultural futures are mixed. Biggest winner is wheat up 2.42%. And the biggest loser today is going to be sugar down uh, three quarters of a point. Uh, Dow down 0.63%. S&P down 0.52%. NASDAQ down a third. And the S&P mini is down just under a half of a point. Bitcoin was trading when I woke up this morning at like 20,200 and now it's back down to $19,415. People having fun with trading. This is all after 2 million Bitcoin has changed hands in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 7.5 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.023 BTC or 450 bucks. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 45 seconds. 0.12 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 16.2 BTC taken overall in fees in the past 24 hours. With a 4.18% drop in hash rate, we are down to 223.85 exahashes per second, which is about a thousand times more than we actually need to secure the network. That's just an opinion, by the way. Shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin at 6.1 United States pennies. So Doge climbing out of its little hole along with the rest of the shitcoinery. We have 3,574 transactions waiting on five blocks to clear with a $363.4 billion market cap. That is 3.38% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 11.7 ounces of the shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,161,948 and a half. And 4,863.5 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $92.6 million, being run over 17,204 nodes, sporting 84,889 payment channels, and 69.8% of the entirety of the Lightning Network is being run over Tor. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. We're going to start with PTAR 2000. Ooh, ooh, it's a row of ducks. 22,222 Satoshis. Thank you, PTAR. He says, love this episode. Bitcoin plus beef is one cool edge effect. Can't wait to hear more about your next adventure into the Washington cattle ranching community. Would one of the ranchers be willing to do an interview for the podcast? <clears throat> and then PTAR comes back and says, Hmm, sorry. I think these still aren't going through. Okay, I think I know what's going on, Pitar. I think I don't have enough channels on my lightning node to wad a shotgun. And since since the, my podcasting 2.0 experience started with me actually giving my pub key to the guys over at, Podca- at the Podcast Index and they refashioned my RSS feed for it, then I am 100% responsible for the liquidity provided by my node ingoing or outgoing and incoming. 
And I get the feeling that what's going on, Pitar, is that I don't have the incoming liquidity. So I'm going to have to reach out to you guys <clears throat> to form another payment channel. I have, I think I've got 1.7 million Satoshis that are just kind of chilling out uh, in my Lightning node as an on-chain balance. So I can convert that fairly easily to a new payment channel. If anybody wants to open up an incoming node with me, I will try to balance it on my side. Uh, 1.7 million Satoshis would be a, a good start on that one. Uh, so, sorry, uh, Pitar, it's okay if I didn't get your Satoshis. The fact that you took the time to write me a note about this is payment enough. And also, yeah, I'm going to have cat the wa Eastern Washington cattle ranchers probably up through uh, Central Washington. I'm going to start gaining, getting their trust, forming friendships, shaking their hands, looking them in the eye, telling them that I am part of the public that appreciates what they do and understands that they're the last line of defense for a complete before a complete collapse in our soil profiles in the United States happens. Right. So yes, I don't know when though, Pitar, I don't know when, but it's coming. I, I, I promise. Uh, from artist C.A. Danner, didn't think you knew I had 10 Satoshi white paper paintings showing at Bitcoin Park in Nashville. I hope you have your little lightning painting I sent you in Eastern Washington. Shameless plug, www.carolanddanner.com. If you want to buy some freaking cool art, some Bitcoin art, you go to www.carolanddanner, that's C A. R O L E A N N D A N N E R.com. That's Carol and Danner.com. I do, in fact, have your painting that you sent me. You sent it to me while I was living in Canyon, Texas, but I have brought that up with me. Uh, it's over on my right hand side, over there by my lightning node, just so you know. Oh, and she, by the way, has sent me 12,000 Satoshis. <clears throat> User. Oh, look, it's user, a shit ton of numbers. Now I know who it is. It's Bubba. How do I know? Because he says, fuck you, David. Love Bubba. Well, fuck you very much too there, pal. Now, Bubba is my good friend. Uh, he was actually one of the first guys that reached out to me because he wanted to interview me. And he did so on his podcast. And uh, then he moved, uh, he moved uh, to the Pacific Isles and kind of did a little farming adventure out there and decided to move back. And you know what he's doing? He's teaching his wife how to drive a big rig. <laughs> and apparently she's doing really good. He does say, however, that she needs to work a little bit more on backing up. Dude, the fact that she can even drive one of those things is impressive. I look at those people backing them up and I'm like, how the hell do you do that shit, bro? How the hell? So uh, good to see you, Bubba. Thank you for letting me know who it is that you are. Uh, letter 6173 sent me, sent me the Striper Boost. Uh, love the Cattleman content. Look forward to future updates. Fatoshi, 5,000 Satoshis. Like the other boots, really appreciate the show. Closing the loop feels awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you too, Fatoshi. Uh, Fatoshi also with another 5,000 sets says, thank you for reading my boost. F-Droid for the win. D. Brez D. D. Bresnahan sent me 20 sats. And Greggy, 20 sats, says, Fountain giving me sats to listen, so I'm sending them somewhere deserving. Oh, thank you, man. 
And then Greggy also comes back with another 10 sats, no messages. So that's it for the boostograms. Now, back into the shit, bro. South Korean authorities look to freeze 76, nope, $67 million worth of Bitcoin tied to Terra's Duquan. Coindesk Sandali Handagama is writing this one. Authorities in South Korea have requested crypto exchanges, OKX, and KuCoin freeze 3,313 Bitcoin worth around $67 million tied to Terraform Labs co-founder Du Kwon, Coindesk Korea reported on Tuesday. Why he's keeping this shit on an exchange? is be- If that's his Bitcoin? Dude, this, this is why you self-custody. It's not that hard. And there's so many people in the Bitcoin world that will help you figure out how to do it. Get your shit off the exchange. The Bitcoin was transferred to digital wallets of the exchanges shortly after an arrest warrant was issued to Kwon in South Korea on September the 14th, according to the report. Authorities accused the crypto entrepreneur for violating the country's securities law and issued the warrant just months after the collapse of the $40 billion Terra ecosystem, which triggered a market downturn and the collapse of other major players in the industry. While Kwan has maintained he is not on the run, South Korean authorities has asked Interpol for assistance in locating him. On Monday, Interpol put out a red notice, which is a request to law enforcement around the world to locate and provisionally arrest Kwan pending extradition, surrender, or similar legal action. Blockchain data analytics platform CryptoQuant says a digital wallet for the Luna Foundation Guard was suddenly created on crypto exchange Binance on September the 15th in the three days that followed. 3,313 BTC were transferred to KuCoin and OKX. In the months before Terra collapsed, the Luna Foundation Guard bought around $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin to beef up its reserves for its stablecoin UST. While KuCoin has frozen some 1,354 BTC, or $27 million, uh, transferred to the platform, OKX is allegedly ignoring the prosecution's request to freeze assets, according to the article. Coindesk has reached out to KuCoin and OKX for comment. So, what the hell is that? You're really, your first, your first instinct after the collapse of your $40 billion ecosystem is to hide your money on an exchange? Are, have you even been in Bitcoin, bro? I don't think so. This is, that's so noob, it's not even funny. But we got other fish to fry. Bitcoin nonprofit Brink funding 11 Bitcoin and Lightning developers to improve the ecosystem. Bitcoin Magazine's Sean Amick has more. Brink, a nonprofit dedicated to improving the Bitcoin protocol, now has 11 Bitcoin and Lightning developers supported by grants from the foundation per release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. The newest addition to the list of developers, Michael Ford Fanquake, is a Bitcoin core maintainer. Taj Dreija, author of the Lightning and Discrete Log Contracts white paper, has also joined the list of Brink developers part-time. Additionally, Vincenzo Palazzo and Larry Ruan are moving to full-time so they can focus their full attention on the Bitcoin ecosystem. Ruan commented on Brink approaching him for a grant and said, quote, I'm a shy nerd, yet Brink found me. This is a superpower, discovering quiet people 
who have something good to offer Bitcoin, <clears throat> end quote. Moreover, Gloria Zhao has completed a fellowship with Brink and will begin mentoring less experienced contributors. Furthermore, she will take over the Bitcoin Core PR Review Club, which serves as a pipeline for new developers in the ecosystem. Quote, being a maintainer means I'll continue to focus primarily on the health of Bitcoin Core and help shoulder some of the responsibilities of the other maintainers while working on package relay as one of multiple necessary upgrades for a functional transactional relay network, said Zhao. Brink supports the Bitcoin ecosystem in a plethora of ways. Recently, the organization funded the most recent Bitcoin Core developer meeting in London this past March. In addition, grantees of the organization routinely present at conferences while also contributing to well-known publications. Also, Brink published the Bitcoin Optech newsletter, which recently celebrated its 200th issue and provides a synopsis of ongoing developmental conversations surrounding Bitcoin. In fact, Bitcoin version 23.0, released in April, contained several contributions from Brink grantees, including P2P and network changes, fee estimation adjustments, trace points, improvements to the wallet and graphical user interface, and additional features. <clears throat> so shout out to Brink for supporting Bitcoin and the people that love it and make it work. Speaking of work, proof of work, nuclear and gas are the fastest growing energy sources for Bitcoin mining. According to data, <clears throat> hell in parts has that data from Cointelegraph. The electricity mix of Bitcoin has drastically changed over the past few years with nuclear energy and natural gas becoming the fastest growing energy sources powering Bitcoin mining, according to new data. The Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance on Tuesday released a major update to its Bitcoin mining dedicated data source, the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index. According to the data from Cambridge, fossil fuels like coal and natural gas made up almost two thirds of Bitcoin's total electricity mix as of January 22. 2022, accounting for more than 62%. As such, the share of sustainable energy sources in the BTC energy mix amounted to 38%. The new study suggests that coal alone accounted for nearly 37% of Bitcoin's total electricity consumption as of early 2022, becoming the largest single energy source for Bitcoin mining. Among sustainable energy sources, hydropower was found to be the largest resource with a share of roughly 15%. Despite Bitcoin mining relying significantly on coal and hydropower, the shares of these energy sources in the total BTC energy mix have been dropping over the past several years. In 2020, coal powered 40% of global BTC mining. Hydropower's share was more than halved from 2020, from 2020 to 2021 tumbling from 34% to 15%. In contrast, the role of natural gas and nuclear energy in Bitcoin mining has been growing notably over the past two years. The share of gas in the BTC electricity mix surged from about 13% in 2020 to 23% in 2021, while the percentage of nuclear energy increased from 4% to nearly 9% in 2022. According to Cambridge Analysts, whatever Chinese minor reallocate or relocations were a major reason behind sharp fluctuations in Bitcoin's energy mix in 2020 and 2021. 
The crackdown on crypto in 2021 in China and the associated minor migration resulted in a major drop of share or in share of hydroelectric power in the BTC energy mix. As previously reported, Chinese authorities shut down a number of crypto mining farms powered by hydroelectricity in 2021. Quote, the Chinese government's ban on cryptocurrency mining and the resulting shift in Bitcoin mining activity to other countries negatively impacted Bitcoin's environmental footprint, the study suggested. Well, you can call 1-800-CRY-HARDER and get a hold of customer service at Bitcoin if you really want to have at it. The, the analyst also emphasized that the BTC electricity mix varies hugely depending on the region. Countries like Kazakhstan still rely heavily upon fossil fuels, while in countries like Sweden, the share of sustainable energy sources and electricity generation is about 98%, which probably will not stop them from freezing. It's going to be a bad winter, y'all. The surge of nuclear and gas energy in Bitcoin's electricity mix allegedly, allegedly reflects the shift of mining power towards the United States, the analyst, analyst stated. According to... The United States Energy Information Administration, most of the nation's electricity was generated by natural gas, which accounted for more than 38% of the country's total electricity production. Coal and nuclear energy accounted for 22% and 19% respectively. Among other insights related to the latest CBECI update, the study also found that greenhouse gas emissions associated with BTC mining accounted for 48 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalents as of September 21, 2021. That's 14% lower than the estimated C, uh, greenhouse gas emissions in 2021. According to the study's estimates, the current greenhouse gas emissions level uh, related to Bitcoin represents roughly 0.1% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Combining all the previously mentioned findings, the index estimates that by mid-September, around 199.6 megatons of CO2 equivalents can be attributed to the Bitcoin network since inception. The analysts stress that about 92% of all emissions have occurred since 2018. As previously reported, the CCAF has been working on CBECI as part of its multi-year research initiative known as the Cambridge Digital Assets Program. The CDAP's institutional collaborators include financial institutions like British International Investment, the Dubai International Finance Center, Accenture, Ernst & Young, Fidelity, MasterCard, Visa, and others. The new CD, CDAP findings differ noticeably from data by the Bitcoin Mining Council, which in July estimated the share of sustainable sources in Bitcoin's electricity mix at nearly 60%. Quote, it doesn't include nuclear or fossil fuels, so from that you can apply that around 30% to 40% of the industry is powered by fossil fuels, Bitfarm's chief mining officer Ben Gagnon told Cointelegraph in August. According to CBECI project lead Alexander Neumuller, the CDAP's approach is different from the Bitcoin Mining Council when it comes to estimating Bitcoin's electricity mix. Quote, we use information from our mining map to see where Bitcoin miners are located and then examine the country, state, or province's electricity mix. As I understand it, the Bitcoin Mining Council asks its members to self-report this data in a survey, New Miller stated. He still mentioned that there are still a few nuances related to lack of data in their own study. All right, so there's the state of the Bitcoin mining network as far as the Cambridge Electricity Index is concerned. And 
it differs from what uh, the mining council says. There are always going to be those discrepancies. I, and I'm not sure if they're actually correct that the Bitcoin mining index do, doesn't actually report on fossil fuels. I think that that's a bunch of hooey, but I don't have, I don't have the bandwidth to go look at their sources. So you guys need to figure it out. And if you want to tell me what you found out, you can do it through a boostagram. By God, Bitcoin Policy Institute calls on the United States to reject central bank digital currencies. Yes. Bitcoin Magazine, Sean Amick also writing this one. <clears throat> the Bitcoin Policy Institute has released a report detailing why the United States should not create a CBDC and should instead promote, you know, freedom and privacy per a release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. BPI begins by exploring the strong possibility of the 21st century being known as the Chinese century in reference to the authoritarian use of China's CBDC and other military, economic, and cultural hegemony. Thus, as more nations have started to develop and release their own versions of CBDCs, it is becoming increasingly clear that governments are vying to not only hold their authority over legacy finance, but seek an altogether new level of power. People today can only transact at the pleasure of the state via banks who deploy police power as quasi-state institutions, reads the report. Therefore, BPI calls on the U.S. government and central banking regime to pursue a new path forward, a path that empowers privacy and enhances freedom. Quote, as the world goes the way of China in the 21st century, the United States should stand for something different. It should, you know, stand for freedom. The release said, quote, for this reason, the United States should reject central bank digital currencies, end quote. However, if the U.S. was to reject the idea of CBDCs, something has to solve the problem of the need for digital currencies, specifically digital fiat that enables low fees and virtually instant cross-border transactions. Quote, the highly surveilled and controlled world of digital money suggests that a meaningful alternative must be private, uncensorable, and free, said the report. Quote, these are characteristics of Bitcoin, a global cryptocurrency issued by a protocol rather than by a bank. End quote, the report continued. Thankfully, Bitcoin provides all of these necessary benefits, instant, low-cost or free transactions, domestic and cross-border transactions, <clears throat> final settlement, no built-in surveillance or transaction control, and no central entity capable of controlling Bitcoin's monetary policy. Additionally, BPI noted that Bitcoin will likely work in conjunction with privately issued stablecoins coming from banking institutions, though it is not clear that this is necessary. However, this idea does help close a temporary gap as it relates to the problem of digital fiat access. Quote, to solve this problem, you know, access to digital fiat, cryptographic stablecoins pegged to fiat currencies and backed one-to-one -one with hard collateral collateral can be issued by private banks worldwide. The report concludes with a rallying call for the United States to take the more difficult path, the path that strengthens privacy and ensures freedom without centralizing power in a system that arguably breeds future abuse. No shit, dude. Quote, we live in a world characterized by the systemic clown show. Oh, I'm sorry. The systemic erosion of individual privacy, which leads inexorably to the extinction of freedom per the report strong words and i love it when people actually say you know what 
it's okay to use slightly flowery language. We got to get back to that instead of like everything being said as a utilitarian phrase on the back of a fucking Medicare brochure. It's okay to have fun with language. It's, you know, the English language is it, with the vocabulary of what, 5 million words. It's one of the most expressive languages we've ever created. Yes, English is hard to learn. I get it. But if you're, I mean, if you actually look at the vocabulary and the grammar that we have at our, you know, fingertips and the way that we can word things, it's the most expressive language that there is. At least that's my opinion. Of course, you know, I'm biased. I'm, I'm an English speaker. I am mono, I am monolingual. Uh, oh, well. Prescient Jaw has a, a little bit more on CBDCs from Cointelegraph. Russia, all oh, them dirty Ruskies, they aim to use ZBDC for international settlements with China, as per a report. Okay, so what happened to the whole cryptocurrency for international settlement? Maybe it's because they're dealing with China and China doesn't want to deal with anything but CBDCs. We'll find out. Russia is in the pilot phase of its own central bank digital currency development, and new reports indicate that the country could use its national digital currency to settle international trade. According to a report published in Reuters, Russia is reportedly planning to use the digital ruble for mutual settlements with China by next year. The digital ruble is currently being tested for settling with the banks and is expected to be complete by early next year. United States Treasury Department added 22 individuals and two Russian-based entities to the sanctions list in the third week of September. With the growing sanctions against Russia from the West in the wake of the ongoing conflict with those poor little motherfuckers down there in Ukraine, the country has been actively looking for alternate financial routes and trade settlements. A note on why I'm a little pissed off about this whole Ukraine thing is that A, Russia shouldn't be doing this shit in the first place, and B, Ukraine shouldn't be soaking in trillions of dollars or billions of dollars of United States money, which I have no idea how they fucking deployed any dollar one of any of it. Do you? Do, can you safely say that you know where every single one of those dollar bills that we sent to Ukraine has gone and we continue to send to Ukraine? I mean, my God, the, the audacity of both parties in this bullshit dumpster fire fucking clown show that is inside the largest circus tent in the world is breathtaking as well as eye-watering and I'm getting so sick of it. So I'm pissed off at both of them personally. They can both go to hell. Fuck them both. The United States Treasury Department, uh, oh, sorry, Anatoly Azkakov, head of the Finance Committee in Russia's lower house of parliament, recently admitted that the geopolitical crisis has limited Russia's accessibility to the international trade market. This is why they have been actively working for alternate modes of payment and trade settlement. And national digital currency seems to be the primary choice at the moment. He said, quote, the topic of digital financial assets, the digital ruble and cryptocurrencies are currently intensifying in society as Western countries are imposing sanctions and creating problems for bank transfers, including international settlements, end quote. Russia has joined the growing list of countries that are in the final phase of their CBDC development. According to the Bank of Russia's latest monetary policy update, the authority will begin to connect all banks and credit institutions to the digital ruble platform in 2024. Yeah, that's going to be a disaster. Uh-huh. The reports of the use of the digital ruble for mutual trade settlement 
in the international trade market come within a week of reports that hinted at possible crypto use for cross-border payments. Russia adopted a crypto law in 2020, prohibiting the use of cryptocurrencies as a form of payment. However, the law didn't ban other crypto-focused activities such as mining and trading. With the rise of sanctions and growing uncertainty in the international trade markets, Russia has turned to its national digital currency as a medium of exchange to weaken United States dominance in the international trade market. Well, given what I've seen with the dollar's strengthening position over the last you know, few weeks, I don't think that's going to work out the way Putin thinks. Am I a fan of the dollar? No. If you've listened to this, you know, this podcast for any length of time whatsoever, you would know, no, I'm not a fan of the U.S. dollar just because it's fiat. That's the only reason. It's just because it's fiat. I hate it like I hate the British pound and the Japanese yen. And, you know, until recently, I, you know, just until recently, I started not liking the Swiss franc because they, 10 years ago, they decided to be the very last country in the world to do the stupidest thing ever when they had all the data in the world to say, yeah, you probably shouldn't depeg your currency from fucking gold. You shouldn't do it. And they did. So I got no respect for any of these people anymore. Now, one other thing that I'll say about the CBDC, is it just me or is anybody else out there looking at all of a sudden these countries start rushing to a CBDC after the rise of Bitcoin. And even then, it took years for them to start talking about it. So it was really right before the rise of shit like DeFi Sushi Swap that they really started talking about it. So that was after the altcoin bubble and that was after ICOs. And we're right in the middle of like Bored Ape and, you know, we're actually just pre-Bored Ape and pre Sushi swap and DeFi mayhem that was occurring. Did China start actually doing their CBDC? So the question I have is, is it possible that they're rushing this and in their fear, they're that they're coming from they're coming at this from a place of fear that they were probably always planning this, but Bitcoin accelerated their plans and they're depending on this shit actually working but they're building it in such a huge rushed fashion that it's going to break. And think about CBDCs being connected to each other via their country's central banks. Are they all operating with something that is easily recognizable by these different systems, i.e. standards and specifications? And if they are working off a spec sheet, who provided the spec sheet? If they're not working off of spec sheet, then how can they actually, how, are, how is there not going to be massive areas of friction, if not total breakage of full-blown economic systems? Because it seems to me that they're rushing this shit, okay? If they rush this shit and it breaks, you think we got problems now? Oh God. And you don't want to have anything to do with CBDCs in the first place. Even if they work swimmingly well, you want to stay as far away from them as possible. And that's easy to say. Will it be easy to do? I don't know. You tell me. Give me a boostagram and I'll read it on the damn air. That's going to do it for the morning roundup.
Dad says jokes. What should you do if you are addicted to seaweed? Seek help. And a bonus one for you. Title of a new book. It was the best of shires. It was the worst of shires. Get it? Get it? Worcestershire. If you've ever wanted to know how to pronounce Worcestershire sauce, it's actually pronounced Worcestershire. Worcestershire. The Shire of Worcester. Worcestershire sauce. I struggled for years trying to pronounce that goddamn thing, and I finally forced myself to look it up. It's Worcestershire. <laughs> if you want to support the show, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. Send me boostograms, stream me sats, do it all through the new ecosystem that is podcasting 2.0, given to us by Adam Curry from MTV fame. I swear to God, when I was a little kid and MTV first came on the air, I was like 12 or something like that. I mean, I was like a little kid and I'm looking at, and, and here's where I think my memory disconnect is happening. Adam Curry was a VJ. He wasn't one of the original VJs that first happened. You're talking about a chick named Nina and there was this, uh, Another guy and some other dude. Nina is the only chick's name that I actually remember. And then a while later, Adam Curry came on and I don't know how many years later. So I'm starting to think that it may have been more time MTV was on the air for a lot longer before Adam Curry came on than I thought, because if he was there at the first, then he was a VJ at like 17 years old. I, I, if somebody knows Adam out there, could you please ask him how old he was? when he started doing MTV, because that just seems really weird to me. But Adam Curry is the guy that sort of started building the specifications for a way for you guys to support podcasters directly. Not with us advertising, not with us having to go shake that shit down and bore you with boring ass ad reads, but supporting us directly saying, you know, I want you to be around. I like what you do. I find what you do is valuable. Well, you can do that in podcasting 2.0 with such things as fountain app. Uh, you can find that through fountain.fm. You can give boostograms. You can, you know, like and I'll be able to get them and you can stream me Satoshi's while I stream you the dulcet tones of the Bitcoin and podcast. And that's the best way I found for people to support the show. Because as I stack sats from you guys, I'm not converting them into money. I'm, I'm burning other sources. Let's just say that because I know that burn, I don't want to burn my Bitcoin. I just, I just don't. I've learned that lesson once. I don't want to do it again. So I keep those sats, right? Just so you know, I'm not converting them into fiat. I'm converting, I'm, I'm burning other sources of fiat right now. So if you want to help the show, if you want to help me grow, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day. <laughs>